everyone and welcome to the CMS Pensions Lawcast. We're going to talk to you today about recent cases. I'm Laura Clark, I'm a partner in the pensions team and joining me today is Kirsten Thompson, who's a senior associate, and Wells Crump, who's an associate in our team. So we've picked three cases to talk to you about today and we'll tell you a bit about each case and most importantly, the practical implications for your pension scheme. So I'm going to hand over to Wills now to take it away. Thanks, Laura. So I'm going to discuss the case of CMG Pension Trustees and CGI IT UK. So this was a claim regarding forfeiture clauses in pension schemes. The trustees and employer brought a claim to clarify the interpretation of a provision in the scheme's rules regarding forfeiture of benefits. So following failed attempts to equalise members' normal retirement dates and to reduce benefit accrual rates, substantial arrears of pension had fallen due and in certain cases had already been paid by the trustee to members. The employer sought not to pay for arrears of benefits more than six years after the trustees and indirectly members had become aware under the terms of a rule of the scheme. So what was the outcome of the case? Well, in short, Leach J decided that the forfeiture clause in this case did have the effect of time barring members from claiming arrears of benefit over six years old. The clause in question said any benefit or instalment of a benefit which has not been claimed within six years of the date on which it fell due for payment is forfeited and the entitlement to that benefit or instalment is extinguished. The judge concluded that claims were not limited to missing beneficiaries, but rather applied to all unclaimed benefits once the six year period had expired. The court found that without clear drafting to the contrary, a forfeiture or limitation clause can make no distinction between benefits unclaimed because the beneficiary is missing and those unclaimed because the beneficiary is unaware of the entitlement. Also, a clause does not need the words forfeit or forfeiture to be effective. Furthermore, in this case, as the employer succeeded in its claim, arrears which were forfeit had already been paid to some members, leading to overpayments. The parties therefore sought clarities to Section 91.6 of the Pensions Act 1995, which requires where there is dispute as to the amount to be recovered from a member, a court of competent jurisdiction must make an order before the trustees can, can apply for recoupment from the member. In this instance, the court found that the pensions ombudsman was not a competent court for the purpose of making such a declaration and arguably reversed the position from recent decisions. So what should we take from this decision? The discussion of forfeiture rules in schemes has been topical for some time, especially since the Lord's GMP judgments a few years ago. This decision underlines the need to treat each scheme's rules on its own merits and there is no blanket approach that can be adopted. Where there are ongoing benefit adjustment exercises, trustees and employees should speak to their legal advisors regarding the scheme's forfeiture provisions to check whether benefit arrears are potentially limited or forfeit. We expect the most relevant application of this decision to be where trustees are receiving advice in respect of GMP equalisation and how far back claims can be um, accounted for uh, in those calculations. Additionally, the decision has thrown some doubt onto the pensions ombudsman's jurisdiction and the process that needs to be followed by trustees in making overpayment claims. We understand TPO is presently reviewing the decision and its effects and may make further comments soon. So that was the discussion about CMG. I'll now pass over to Kirsten to discuss her next case. Thanks very much, Wills. I'm going to talk about the case of Falaran and Transport for London which was heard by an employment judge around this time last year with the decision published in March. The case considered section 46 of the Employment Rights Act 1996, which doesn't get a lot of judicial consideration, but is an important provision of general application to workplace pension schemes. The claimant, Ms Falloran, worked at Transport for London from 2008 in a professional role. 
In 2019, she became a member nominated trustee for the TfL Pension Fund. Following this appointment, TfL gave Ms Falloran a number of working days per year on which she would be released from her normal employment role to complete her trustee duties, such as attendance at trustee meetings and completion of training. However, Ms Falloran's expected workload in her day job, which carried a performance target, was not adjusted downwards to account for her new responsibilities to the pension scheme. It was also noted in discussions between Ms Falloran and her managers that there was an expectation that additional work might be required by the trustee role outside of the time allocated to her from her employment role and that this should be done in Ms Falloran's own personal time. Some months later, concerns were raised by Ms Falloran's managers regarding a lack of progress against her targets in her day job. Ms Falloran raised a formal grievance about her treatment by her employer generally, but with specific reference to the failure to provide suitable adjustment to her normal employment duties to allow her to perform her obligations as a pension scheme trustee. The grievance was partially upheld following the completion of TfL's internal process. A recommendation was made that employees who took on pension trustee duties should have not only a suitable release from normal work obligations to complete the pensions role, but also corresponding reductions in the targets set for them in relation to their day job. The process did, however, find that there was a balance to be struck between the pension trustee role and the needs of the employer in running their business, and that time off must be reasonable in all of the circumstances. Ms Falloran appealed this decision to the Employment Tribunal. She appealed under Section 46 of the Employment Rights Act 1996. That provision gives employees the right not to be subjected to any detriment by an act or failure to act by their employer relating to their performance of the function of a trustee of an occupational pension scheme linked to their employment. In this case, the judge held that Ms Falloran was not subjected to detriment by TfL under Section 46, having taken into account a number of factors, and I'll mention three of those. First, there's no statutory right to reduced workload in connection with the performance of trustee functions for an occupational pension scheme, and nor did Ms Falloran's contract of employment with TfL give her a contractual right to such a reduction. Secondly, Ms Falloran's managers did not act unreasonably in managing her request. Their understanding of the commitment involved in being a pension trustee was evolving over time, as was their approach to the alliance they were prepared to offer Ms Falloran as they tried to find a workable solution. And third, the judge determined that it was reasonable for the employer to expect the claimant to carry out at least some of her trustee work outside of her core working hours. It's that last point that created some ripples in the industry, raising the question of whether there is general agreement with the judge in this case that a reasonably senior employee, as Ms Lauren was, who decides to take on a pension trustee role, should expect to carry out some of the associated work in their own time rather than being allowed to fulfil the trustee role solely within their paid hours of employment. The Association for Member Nominated Trustees didn't agree. The industry and representative body for member nominated trustees criticised the decision, which it saw as it's at odds with one of its core policies, which is that trustees should be given adequate time and support by their employers to complete their pensions role. The association has made representations to the pensions regulator asking that it sets out clearer guidance on protections for trustees in this respect, to which TPR has not yet publicly responded. So what can we take from this decision for other pension schemes? I think it's generally clear to all involved that the work done by trustees in relation to their occupational pension schemes is valuable to employers. 
This decision serves as a reminder that employers should give due consideration to how those taking on that role are supported and might want to consider formalising that support to ensure it's available to all employed trustees across their business. But the role of trustees can also have benefits for the individual undertaking it, such as providing a forum for the development of skills and knowledge or raising their profile. And this decision suggests that trustees taking on that role should do so with a willingness to commit some of their own time. And I hand over to Laura for the third case. OK, thanks both. I'm going to talk about the final case, which is BT and 2020 trustees in the Employment Tribunal. So this is a case about age discrimination and whether some of the exceptions for pension schemes in the UK are compatible with European law. So when the age discrimination laws came into force in the UK in 2006, there were some exceptions for pension schemes. This allowed pension schemes to continue some practices where they treated people differently depending on their age. So a common example of this could be setting an age limit for accruing certain types of benefits. The legislation also said that trustees didn't need to consider age discrimination in relation to benefits that accrued before 2006. So in the BT case, some members of the pension scheme in question were arguing that they were being treated less favourably than other members because of their age. These members left pensionable service before 2006. So the scheme went into PPF assessment in July 2006, but the PPF didn't end up assuming responsibility for the scheme because it did have sufficient assets to pay benefits at PPF compensation levels. So in order to do this, the trustee bought annuities to provide benefits to members at just over the PPF compensation level and applied a cap to those who hadn't reached their normal retirement age at assessment date. The trustee gave the members who complained capped benefits and the members argued that by applying the cap, the trustee had breached the legislation by treating them less favourably because of their age compared to members who'd reached their normal pension age at the assessment date and they cited the recent case of Hughes. So the BT case itself concerned the initial question of whether these members could even bring the claim on the basis that they were arguing about pensions that they'd accrued before 2006 and therefore should be covered by the exemption. So the members argued that they could bring the claim and said the position was similar to the 2017 case of Walker and Innisfet where the Supreme Court held that the cutoff date for pre-2005 service for benefits of same-sex partners was incompatible with EU law. The judge in Beatty agreed with these members and held that the tribunal did have jurisdiction to hear the claim, even though the members had left pensionable service and had their benefits come into payment before the 2006 cutoff date. And the reasoning behind this was that the members' entitlement wasn't set in stone before that cutoff date, there was a continuing relationship between the members and the trustees after that date, with the trustees continuing to make and recalculate pension payments on an ongoing basis. So the judge held that the unequal treatment should be treated as arising at the time the pension falls to be paid, not at the date when it accrues. So the fact that these members left pensionable service before 2006 didn't preclude them from bringing their age discrimination claim. So what does this mean? What are the practical implications for your pension scheme? The practical implications could be quite significant for trustees and employers. If we look back to 2006, when the legislation was introduced, benefits in a scheme were audited to check for any discriminatory practices, and these were either changed or objectively justified. 
Because of the exemption for benefits accrued before 2006, these benefits were likely not reviewed at the time. And as a result, there'll be many historic rules and schemes that are age discriminatory and exist just because we understood this position to be lawful at the time. So potentially pension schemes will need to review their scheme rules again and consider whether they have any practices that are caught by this. So what do you need to do next? We understand that the DWP is appealing this initial question to the Employment Appeals Tribunal this autumn before the bigger question of whether the PPF cap has been applied fairly has its own hearing in November 2022. As far as we're aware, the appeal hearing hasn't yet taken place, but the DWP clearly will be very interested in the outcome of this case and its impact on pension schemes. So this is definitely one to keep on your watching brief. So we just want to finish by saying thank you for listening today. Um, if you want to hear more about any of these cases or you think that these issues might affect your pension scheme, then please contact any of us or your usual CMS contact. So that's it from us. And please stay tuned for the next CMS Pensions Lawcast next month.